Champs Lunch! Champs Lunch! What's up, buddy? Hey, hey, look. Hello and welcome to Champs Lunch, a Schmodown podcast from the hosts of Some Like It Scott. I'm Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Scott Shelton. Scott, we took a little bit of a hiatus uh, as life got in the way, but we are back uh, with the Schmodown discussion, and today we are going to be talking about everything that happened at the end of the year with the Schmodown Spectacular, Schmodown Spectacular 4, uh, and we're going to be looking ahead to the draft, which is coming up in just a few weeks uh, on January the 11th. But before we do that, how are you doing, Scott? I'm doing great, Scott. You're right. Sometimes life does get in the way uh, a little bit, and it, and it did for us. We were tr- pumping out a lot of content uh, on the main podcast and the Star Wars countdown, and uh, this just fell through the cracks between uh, all the other stuff that you were doing. There were a couple of weekends where you were, where we were both honestly out of out of pocket and finding a hard time to record. And then you know, I also kind of fell off and didn't didn't watch much of the teams tournament until recently. I cranked through uh, the semifinals, the finals, and a couple matches here and there to make up for lost time. And so uh, we we are all caught up. Both of us are caught up. We are both really excited, uh, not only to talk about the spectacular today, but to talk about everything that's going to be happening next year with the draft. I, I mean, it's just so so many cool aspects that are being integrated into into the show, but we'll save that for the end of the podcast. I'm doing great, and I'm really excited to to be back on the Champs Lunch podcast train. Yeah, no, it's it's exciting. It, I've watched the spectacular twice now, and there really was just so much that happened and so much to talk about, even outside of the matches with all the f- new factions being introduced, uh, with some big kayfabe moments that went down. Um, there's there's going to be a lot to discuss. So why don't we just get into it yeah. uh, and talk about what happened with the Schmodown Spectacular Four? Five matches. The whole event was about six hours long. Um, you know, we've come to expect these things to be pretty long, and uh, this one did not disappoint. But everything uh, that that I could see looks like it was it was a great show for those in attendance. Of course, the Schmodown Fan Expo went down beforehand, which is something that looked really cool and something that I hope that um, they'll try to do at other live events, um, even if Jeff Snyder doesn't have any more things to offer up for his garage sale. Um, I hope that they'll maybe they'll try to bring that um, to some of the other cities based on, you know, the the um, amount of people that they have, amount of competitors and stuff that they have coming who can who can reasonably bring stuff to to pedal. But I mean, hey, look, I think I feel like it's going to be stuff that people that the competitors would want to do um, because a lot of times it's selling their own merchandise. Um, but it, it, it would be cool uh, just to give everyone an opportunity to to meet everyone and to, to buy some cool Schmodown related stuff. So I hope that they continue to do that. Um, at yeah, other I wonder events. if they'd be able to do that at somewhere outside of L.A. It feels like the free for all and the collision yeah. and the spectacular are the main places that that would happen. Probably so, which means maybe we'll just have to try and go out there someday, Scott. Yeah. Um, but as for now, we'll have to settle for Atlanta in February. We will be there. So if you're a listener and you'll be there, um, you know, say hey. Yeah. Um, Boston in, April, far- in May, maybe, maybe. Yes, hopefully, hopefully, yeah. depending on the date, but uh, yeah. definitely Atlanta. But uh, moving ahead to the event itself, Scott, uh, like I said, we had five matches and that kicked off with the finals of the singles tournament, which of course had to be delayed due to Ben Bateman's uh, back surgery that he had. Um, he defeated, he was able to show up and defeat Brendan Meyer very handily in that semifinal. Um, 
but he was not able very to handily. That is a KO. Yes, exactly. Um, old KO, but uh, not able to make it to the finals. But the the match did go on, and he faced off against William the Beast Bibiani, who defeated John Roca in the semifinals to make it to the finals. Um, and Ethan Irwin in the quarterfinals. I mean, the guy yeah. had an incredible, incredibly yeah, difficult bracket. Bibbs was on one of his rolls for sure, where he looks like he could be unbeatable, right? And and you know, you could you could definitely make a case that no one knows as much in the showdown as he does. Um, but as we've always said, the beauty of the game is that it doesn't matter um, necessarily how much you know all the time because uh, the strategy and the format of the game itself comes into play, especially in a five-round match like this one, um, where uh, things started out in Bibbs's favor. He did have a perfect round in that first round. Um, and However, the Ben was able to make up some ground in round two when Bibbs spun Pixar. Uh, he, he elected to spin again. I, I forget what his first spin was, but uh, he spun again to Pixar. Uh, and it just happens to be one of the things that Bibbs is not quite as strong in. Um, he had to go to multiple choice a couple of times. He missed at least one question, I believe. Um, and Ben was able to cut into his lead. And then where he was really able to cut into his lead was the betting round. Um, and again, the wheel is not in Bibbs's favor here because Ben... Uh, was able to spin or rather I believe Bibb spun opponent's choice um, in round three. Uh, and then Ben went, of course, with his strength of movie release dates, which is maybe the, the biggest weakness for Bibbs. It's something that he's always complained about this category and he's always struggled with the movie release dates category. And he was unable to pull the correct year for the James Bond film GoldenEye. Um, he was one year off Ben getting it. Uh, and there was a, I think there was a six or five point swing there um, in, in the betting round. Uh, and Ben was able to pick up a couple more points in that speed round where he is always excelled um, and was able to close it out in the end with a TKO. In fact, he yep. TKO'd Bibbs uh, after Bibbs was not able to pull his five pointer. Um, I think Bibbs didn't pull his three pointer either. I think he had a four point lead yeah, going into the final did. round. And he, he did not pull it. You are correct. Yeah. Um, so he didn't pull his three or five, which is something rare for Bibbs. However, based on the way that the match went, Ben definitely deserved to win the match. Uh, it was clear that he had prepared and, and you know, the wheel went in his favor. Uh, so he moved on to that match at the end of the night, the singles title match. Scott, your thoughts on Ben's win here and the year that he has had uh, in singles in particular? Yeah, you know, coming into the match, I, I, I'm i Team Bateman. Everyone who listened to the podcast earlier this year would, would know that. I, you know, wore the shirt in Houston when we were there. Houston, one of the best nights of, of the year for me, for sure, uh, getting to go to that live event and, and seeing Ben uh, dominate guy like that. And, and so I was pulling for him. I didn't necessarily expect him to win because you're right. Bibbs is on, you know, an absolute role. It's, you know, maybe we'll talk about some award stuff on either this later in this podcast or the next one. But definitely one of the contentions for player of the year, the fact that, you know, he had such a deep run in, in, in singles. The fact that he beat, uh, was it Irwin and Roka in a three-way earlier this year and then beat them in again in the tournament mm -hmm. in singles. And then, of course, having the deep run with Shazam. And what he did in the free-for-all. And in the free-for-all. So it's crazy that he's not, in my mind, the front-runner for player of the year because Dan Merle also happens to have had a, a great year. But the guy, you know, is, was on an absolute roll. Uh, in in 2019 for a really large part of it. And so I, I didn't really rate Ben's chances that highly. You know, yes, he had an incredibly impressive win over the kid. But when you when I sat back and I thought again about kind of the kid and, and his tournament run, I felt a little bit less strongly about how impressive of a win it was. 
Uh, I think the kid is, is strong and maybe it was an anomaly getting KO'd in that match, but he didn't have that difficult of a, of a time against Whitney or Stacy uh, in the tournament leading into his match with Ben. And so I kind of cooled on how good of a chance I thought Ben might've had against Bibbs, especially considering the fact that there was that time off and, and he had had the back surgery. I didn't know how he'd respond coming out of that, but he responded really well. And, you know, uh, it was really great to see him, you know, get get lucky and sometimes, right? Because it takes more than just knowledge to win these matches when you're talking about two competitors who, well, one of whom probably has the most base knowledge, maybe between him and, and Ethan Irwin, probably the most base knowledge Andrew in the McQueen, showdown. Maybe, yeah. Andrew McQueenie, yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, against Ben Bateman, who is probably the guy who studies the hardest or studies the most, with the exception of maybe Kalinowski. And so it, it was really a, a test of, two different methods. And this time I think Ben's Ben's method ended up winning. And maybe that was because of luck. Uh, maybe that's because of some strategy, because one of the things we haven't talked about yet is the fact that, that Ben did win that challenge in, was it the first round? I can't remember when it was maybe the second round. Uh, yeah, it was the second round when he, not the he, sports agent, yes. the sport, the whole, well, he called her an ad agent, uh, our marketing agent. And uh, that was, of course, talking about what men want, which is uh, Tiffany Haddish's character and what men want. What, where did she work or what was her job? And a ludicrous challenge that I cannot believe that he won that challenge. But I was listening to him on Schmodown backstage from after the Schmodown. And uh, Bibbs was in the chat as well, actually, at the time. And, you know, Ben was talking about how he didn't he didn't think he would win the challenge. And he I think he said that he snidered his way into into getting a couple points there and also the it, fact that he didn't care whether he won the challenge because he knew the challenge would uh, mess with Bibbs and get in his head which was very right. clear from from the video with Bibbs's reaction especially after he was awarded the Ben was awarded the two points or whatever it was um yeah and that's what he was gonna, so rattled that's what I was going to say too is that this shows how how smart Ben is with adapting because because obviously he has some mind games that he likes to go to waiting to answer the question when he knows the answer um but i think the here he had to adapt a little bit to something that he knew might get bibbs's goat which is a challenge like that because we know that bibbs is such a stickler for getting the the exact correct answer i was re-watching the free-for-all recently and bibbs was being so irritating about uh you know somebody if like alan tudyk was an answer and and somebody just wrote Tudic and he, you know, he, he, he really wants, uh, he's really, he's a real stickler about the rules and making sure everything is written out and what you say matches what you write and vice versa. So I think a thing like that, where he feels like, Oh, the game is always on my side. Cause I'm very much, you know, uh, a stickler Particular for, the, person. Yeah. for the rules. Um, came back to bite him because, uh, even when it looked like the, the rules might dictate that he, uh, would win that, uh, ben would lose the challenge. He ended up winning the challenge. And I do think that that probably affected Bibbs going forward. Yeah. And especially because, I mean, you have, you have, um, what you have, I mean, you have Ben admitting afterwards. It's like, yeah, there's no way he should have won the challenge. And everyone afterwards was like, yeah, Ben probably shouldn't have won that challenge. But uh, yeah, it, it rattled him. And, and I, again, ultimately, I guess it was probably a, a, in terms of score, it didn't determine the outcome of the match because it was a TKO, but I think it affected Bibbs a great deal. And I don't know whether Bibbs performed less well the rest of the match. I don't know if it would have actually changed any questions he got right or questions he got wrong because so much, you know, that huge five point swing that you talked about happening in round three in the betting round really decided the match. 
Round three, the curse of round three continues for Bibbs. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. We, we joked about that when we were watching it at the time, too. Uh, but but it definitely got in his head and it rattled him. And, and, you know, that's why Ben is one of the best players of the game, similar to how Sam Levine was uh, when Sam was was still contending uh, as, a, as a player. Yeah, no. And to go back to something you said, I, I do want to give the kid a little bit more credit, even though his singles tournament run might not have been quite as impressive. I, I mean, I think he's shown with Shazam's run in particular what a strong player that he is, you know, consistently having seven, eight point rounds in round one and being able to even pull out some questions in round two and three that even Bibbs, it seemed like, didn't know. So yeah. uh, I think the kid has definitely grown as a player as the the season has gone on. And, and that was definitely a great win for Ben Bateman and for Paul Oyama. I was voting today for the awards, actually, and thinking back uh, about Bateman versus Oyama for singles player of the year and thinking back to who they faced. And I think that for both of them, that's one of their best wins for sure, beating uh, a player like the kid. But nevertheless, I uh, did pick Bateman to win this match. I was happy to see him win an I2 and team Bateman. Um, and yeah, he was able to move on to the end of the evening, which we'll talk about uh, in a little bit. But first, uh, let's talk about the second match, which was the Star Wars title match um, between uh, Alex Damon and Laura Kelly. Once again, Alex Damon, the machine, um, you know, a, a tough, the demon, a, I think is what you a, a good first and second round um, players pretty much getting every single question. Right. I think maybe Damon had like a one point advantage. Um, I think that's right. He had a one point advantage going into round three and then yeah, blew it wide open. But yeah, but right again, the betting round proved to be vital uh, and Damon was able to, uh, I, again, I think it was a five or six point swing there. Uh, and really the thing about Damon is at, at that point, the match was over because if, I mean, unless you like the only way that you have a chance against Damon, I think is to force him to hit the five pointer because he, the five pointers are hard questions. Like you never know what is going to come up on the five pointer, but I think nothing that is below the level of a five pointer difficulty wise is going to stump Alex Damon from what we've seen. I think he's any two or three point questions. He is going to get them right. He got the Darth um, Maul horn question instantly. Right. Instantly. Um, and and so at that point with with Damon taking a six or seven point lead, it was pretty much over. Now, I will give some credit to Laura Kelly. She was able to she was trailing by nine, I believe, or 10 going into the last round. And she was able to get all of her questions right uh, in order to force Damon to answer and, and avoid the knock at the TKO, which at that point was really all she was playing for. I mean, like I said, we knew that Damon was going to uh, win, even if even if the if she was able to throw it back to him. But, you know, she could take that as, as a badge of honor for avoiding the TKO and forcing um, Damon to hit his at least one question, um, which he was able to do, of course. Um, Scott, I think the big talking point from this match for me is, uh, once again, this the Star Wars match that has been teased for years and really the, the match that we have talked about that needs to happen as maybe the conclusion of the Star Wars division because I think there's only so much further that this division can go. And that is, of course, uh, Sam Witwer against Alex Damon. Witwer being the only person who has defeated Alex Damon. Granted, that was in a four or five way match. Um, but uh, those guys, I think, are clearly in a league of their own when it comes to Star Wars. Joseph Scrimshaw is very good as well, but but he's been beaten by both of them. Um, and Damon wants Witwer, as you could see in that post-match interview, and he challenged him uh, to play in Atlanta in an Ironman match, much like the one that Witwer defeated Ken Knapsack in, probably the, the most iconic Star Wars match of all time at the second Schmodown Spectacular. Um, 
And he challenged him to to play in Atlanta, which, of course, is where Alex and Molly Damon uh, live regularly. Um, and, you know, he's been challenging him for a while. But the fact that he has had a specific call out uh, in a specific location, we know the Schmodown is going there. We know the date for when the event is going to be. Makes me think that maybe Christian has this match on the books. And uh, they shoot I, a lot of Star Wars stuff in Atlanta. I mean, so much stuff yeah. is shot in Atlanta these days. But it, so I it think it bodes well. For him to be there. Yeah. Right. So it, it would make sense for Whitworth to be there. Um, and Scott, we're going to Atlanta, like we said, and that would be something I would be incredibly excited to, to see because the mm-hmm. amount of knowledge that these two guys have. The only question I think is, does Whitworth still have the knowledge? Like, obviously, he was, you know, top of his game when he was playing in the Schmodown, but he's been out for a couple of years now. Um, and yes, he's, mostly doing Star Wars stuff. But right. Yeah. He's still been in the Star Wars world, but, you know, has he been watching the movies regularly? Has he been studying up like maybe you have to do? Or at, or honestly, at this point, does he even need to study more, right? Like, is it just always there? Is it, is it ever going to go out of his brain? I don't know. But nevertheless, this is a match yeah. that we need to see. And it sounds like we might finally be getting it. It's a good question. And I instantly thought the same thing as well when you're talking about the hesitation around, well, does Whitworth still have that knowledge, the same level of knowledge that he had when, you know, two years ago when he, when he beat Ken uh, at Spectacular 2? And, you know, all I can say is I hope so, because honestly, talk about like the biggest letdown of a match of all time. If Damon ended up massacring Whitwer in an Iron Man match, like that would just be the most disappointing yeah. thing ever. I don't think that's going to happen, honestly. I don't think so either, because I don't I don't think Sam would do it unless he felt like he could. And compete. He, here's something I would think think I was thinking about, even if it's like not within the rule book, I think that they should include Rise of Skywalker questions because like. These guys are going to have seen the movie several times. Or I think it just it, it ups the difficulty and gives a um, a chance for there to be more of a difference between the two competitors. Because otherwise, I think there's it's just going to be, you know, they're they're just going to be hitting questions the entire time. And so I think that could throw a wrench into uh, because I mean, like we said, Alex Damon is a machine. He's a robot. He doesn't miss anything. But I think throwing questions in there for a movie that's only been out for a couple of months that could be something tricky, and you know, could make, could force them to study a little bit harder. So again, why, would, I, why I, wouldn't they have Rise of Skywalker? Well, because the movie, I think, generally they don't ask uh, about movies unless it's in like a new releases category, I think until it's been released like on digital probably. And I don't don't know if Rise of Skywalker will be out by then, but I'm not sure if that's an official rule or not, because I mean, it would blow my mind if they didn't ask Rise of Skywalker questions. I, I think they didn't ask solo questions for a bit. So yeah, see, um, but we don't have enough Star Wars matches. To, it would be like what I guess we could go back and look at the collision yeah. from from 2018 and see if because it was there a Star Wars. Yeah, that was the that was the it, match against Bruce Green. We right. could go back then and look to see if they were asking solo yeah. questions. It, it still seems like, right, like the movie could, I, I guess it's not realistic to say the movie could still be in theaters, but like it could have just gone out of theaters by the time this match comes around. Um, oh, I think it'll still be in theaters then. At the end of February? Okay. That's only uh, two months. Yeah, I think it'll still be in theaters. Yeah, okay. Well, even even still, like yeah. if it's still in theaters, that, that just furthers my point that I think they may be skeptical to... Um, use a movie that's still in theaters. Like I think even with the new releases categories, they don't ask about movies that are still in theaters. They, they generally wait till the movie is out. Um, I think that might, that, that's a good point. I wonder if that's more of a, of a print, like a rule that they have or a principle or that they follow less and more the, the fact that Skaliski hasn't written any questions about movies that are still in theaters just because there's so many other movies to write about. All that's to say, I agree with you. I hope that they ask rise of Skywalker questions. I will be a little disappointed if they don't. Yeah, no, I, I will too. I think that they should, even if it is a rule, that they should throw out the rule book and, and let that um, 
let the, let that play. Um, but Scott, any other thoughts on this match or on the Damon Whitworth match going forward? Yeah, no, I you know I, you said kind of at the outset of what you're talking about. So just to rewind there for a second to say it's kind of the culmination of the Star Wars League, and you know there it's so hard for and maybe it's a chance for them to retire the league. Just with the draft and how they have Ken competing in Star Wars again, I don't really think that this this league is going anywhere uh, in terms of disappearing. I do wonder if they will if Damon will retire yeah. after after that match and then kind of open up the league to where you can have some more because I mean guys he's just like so much better than everyone else like he really is like even Scrimshaw like he is a different tier above Scrimshaw like I don't even know if he's had like he's had close close matches well, Scrimshaw forced him to hit his five pointer in that Chicago match yeah. right which is why I'm talking about close matches but like yeah. the guy the guy like what's his accuracy rate it's got to be above 90 95 percent it's just insane like he it, it would take a sheer stroke of dumb luck to beat him I just I just think he's the closest thing to unbeatable and that there is in the schmodown um honestly I would have said the similar something similar to, about Smets but um obviously Kalinowski beat him so well it's just he's incredible he's incredible and so if he if we do get that match uh, in Atlanta I don't think it's going to be the end of the Star Wars League although I wouldn't necessarily mind if they retired the Star Wars League uh, I do think it would be the end uh of Damon's career in the schmodown I do think he would retire yeah, I think that that probably makes sense if they do want to continue this division, which I think I mean, I, I, you know, I think they should if if Damon decides to retire, because I think there's a lot of players who probably would, you know, young players who are probably waiting in the, the wings to try and get into this league. But it's just so hard because there's only a limited number of matches. And um, then, you know, with Damon being such a beast, it, it's hard. Um, so. Yeah, maybe maybe uh, having him retire and opening up and expanding the d- division is the way to go. But either way, hope we get this Damon Whitworth match. That that was my most exciting takeaway from uh, the Star Wars match. I do want to say I think it was funny that Laura Kelly uh, that she was asked about by Jen Sturger about um, the draft next year and whether there was any managers that she was looking at, and she said, "No, nah, I think I'll just keep my manager Alice, who of course is not a manager, uh, not mm-hmm. one of the ten managers for next year." So I'm not sure if they're going to make some kind of exception for her because obviously she brought along her own manager. They're friends; they do a podcast together. But as far as I know, Laura Kelly is in the draft like everyone else, which means that one of the ten managers could pick her up. Um, so I, I'm not sure she uh, she fully understands the. This, what's at stake in this draft, but uh, we will see what happens there. I do think that some manager might want to pick her up because she has shown herself to be a worthy competitor in the Star Wars division, especially if Damon calls it quits after uh, Atlanta. Yeah, like I said, if that match happens, I think that the Star Wars division will be wide open because win or lose, I think that that is probably the end of Damon and Whitwer in, in the Schmodown uh, if that match happens. So I agree. She's definitely, you know, even with Damon, right, She she's probably a top three competitor in Star Wars um in in the league so she's you know where star wars falls given the the volume of matches where that falls in the draft order i think she's still someone who would definitely be a candidate for being drafted even if it's in you know i think i think was eight rounds total even if it's in one like the sixth or seventh or eighth round yeah um and of course you know even if she doesn't get drafted there's going to be free agents and trades Mm -hmm. and stuff like that it's going to be just like a sports league um next year so even if she doesn't get drafted she could get picked up you know for example if damon retires some some manager might say hey you know the star wars division is wide open now i'm gonna go pick up laura kelly off of yeah. uh off of the free agents so uh all, all exciting things that are possible now uh going forward with the draft mm-hmm. uh, we'll get to that soon but first scott the third match 
um, which was the team's title match. Uh, a little bit of uh, ramping up to this with what was going on with John Roca and his bronchitis. Uh, I think most people probably saw through the uh, the ruse that they were putting on that, oh, he might not show up. Uh, Scott, I know that we were talking about this a couple days beforehand because Roca had been tweeting about the fact that he had bronchitis and, oh, I don't know if I'm going to make it and all this stuff. Um, but knowing John Roca, may maybe some other players wouldn't have made it, but I don't think Roca was ever going to miss this opportunity. That's just the kind of competitor and person that he is. Uh, and so when they came out and, and said, uh, you know, that, uh, oh, well, we're not sure if he's going to make it. I don't, I never really believed it. I, I thought they were just hyping up to a, to a great entrance. And that's exactly what we got. Even, even still, even though I, I predicted it was coming, I think this is still a, a cool moment uh, with, with Christian coming out there. And, you know, first he was awarding the titles to Shazam. Um, and then uh, Shazam was saying, no, we don't want to win this way. And, uh, you know, then the lights go out and, and here comes the outlaw with his music and everything. Um, and, you know, it, he may have hammed it up a little bit during the match, but it does seem like that he he was ailing and he was he was probably uh, pretty sick. And under other circumstances, if this was just a regular league match, he might not have tried to make it. But with this being a live spectacular title match, um, I think that's probably why he he forced himself to do it. Um, and it was a good thing that he did because the founding fathers retained the belt uh, against Shazam. Um, this was, uh, again, a, a pretty close match. Um, but I believe that the round two was where the, the founding fathers were able to pick up some points here. Um, and as well as in the speed round, uh, Roca had several correct answers in the speed round, uh, despite his, his ailments. And then once again, I believe just like in the, um, in, in the singles match with Bibbs, the Shazam was unable to come up with their three or five pointers. I believe that was Bibbs missing the three pointer. Uh, and then the five pointer, uh, they were not able to pull either. Um, and the founding fathers, uh, won the match. Uh, I believe that's how it went down with the TKO there, uh, retaining the belt. They of course won the belt, uh, off of corruption in Orlando. Um, and yeah, after, after a bit of a slow start for this team, Scott, you know, we thought that when, when Roca and Merle teamed up, this was just going to be an unstoppable team, but you know, the team's division has been tough and, and they couldn't get over that hill of, with corruption, uh, for a bit losing to them twice. Uh, it looked like they might break up altogether. Um, and, and then, uh, they, they did work, they were able to best them in that retirement match in Orlando. Um, and it seems like they're firing on all cylinders again. And I, like we had some questions, I think about Roca at one point in the season about, is it time for him to hang it up? Um, and I think the answer is no. Now, honestly, I think, I think he's still got it. I think that's what he's proved with these title matches and even making it to the, the semifinals uh, of the singles tournament with beating Kalinowski along the way. Um, I think that, uh, he's, sh he's shown that he's still got it and, um, he's defended the belt for the first time in his illustrious career, which is something that he wanted to do. And, you know, after the match in his interview, he did kind of uh, go off on a little bit of a uh, rant, a little bit, not, not rant, but a, a little bit of a diatribe that made you think, is he about to, is this it? Like he's defended his belt. Is he about to retire here and now? Uh, but of course he didn't. Uh, and that wasn't the only fake out because of course then Dan Merle had this moment with Mara, uh, which kind of looked like it was ramping up to a proposal. Uh, but simply ramped up to maybe an even bigger announcement uh, than than a proposal or an engagement, uh, which is that Dan Merle is going to be entering the already loaded inner geekdom division for next year, um, which is something that I'm sure Tom Dagnino is very glad to hear because 
um, the horsemen have not had an inner geekdom player, right? Like that's the one thing that they have been missing. Um, and I think that Dan, obviously he's the best to ever do it in the singles and teams divisions. Um, I think that especially with a great inner geekdom player in Mara, like living with him, um, I think that he's going to benefit from, from that. Um, and that he's going to be just as much of a, a beast to handle in the inner geekdom division as he is in the singles and team division. But uh, thoughts on this match, Scott? Yeah. So I was a little bit surprised, I guess I really rated again, rated Bibiani's and Shazam's chances a little bit more than uh, he performed. And I think that's just because the spectacular was, uh, kind of an underperformance for Bibbs. I don't know if you call that a regression toward the mean or an anomaly in of itself, but again, talking about how he fell a little bit short in areas where we now just kind of assume that Bibiani will excel in because we just don't ex- he's just he has this aura about him where you just don't expect him to miss questions. It, you really don't. And I think that speaks to the strong year that he's had overall and and how he's been able to, you know, if you think back to two, you know, a little bit less than two years ago. He, you know, he was known as the choker. Like he was a, like he and McWeeny were the people who always choked in round three. Uh, you know, he just could not put it together a full match to to really rekindle the spark that everyone saw in that first match. Uh, you know, that famous first match that he had with Andreco when he debuted. And so the fact that we're at a place now where, you know, at least for myself, you know, I was giving them you know, I was choosing them as the favorites or who I expected to win the match, you know, with, a you know, alongside a rookie against two of, you know, the, you know, the most veteran and most accomplished people in the Shmoda and the founding fathers. Uh, I think that speaks a lot again to the year that Bibiani and the kid were having. And I, w- and also speaks to maybe the fact that, you know, the founding fathers, yes, they've, they had the belt and they retained the belt, but you know, before that, yes, they beat, double toasted yes they beat the wild berries but losing to corruption for the second time of course this goes back to last year but losing to them in the team's tournament last year in the anarchy as well it doesn't really feel like they they've had the necessary necessarily the uh you know the history of, of performing when it counted the most in the big matches because they haven't played that many big matches besides corruption and yeah, and, and, but this is the point i think that that always comes up in this discussion about mm-hmm. um you know, have they had a tough enough run in the team's division? I think that um, the Patriots is the example that always gets brought up. I can't remember who exactly it is that they played in their initial run to get the belt, um, but they it was it was not strong. Uh, let me put it that sure. way. It, it was probably about on the level, if not worse, than who founding fathers played. And of course, the mm-hmm. Patriots went on to retain the title six or seven times, become sure. pro- possibly still the greatest team of all time. Um, and I think that maybe the founding fathers, to your point, have have played with a chip on their shoulder in these last couple of matches because as they should have, honestly, right. like the, they won the belt because Dan Merrill won the free for all. Like that's yeah. why they like in their run up to getting a title shot, they lost. They lost the number one contenders match. But th- now they have convincing wins, I think, against two of the the top five teams, right? Two of the mm-hmm. protected teams going into the draft. Absolutely. Uh, and so I think they have proved themselves. If there is any doubt at this point, right? Which is the point that I was building up to is that even mm-hmm. though I felt like I had I had favored Shazam for these reasons, they you know they performed when it mattered. And you know whether you say I think this is one of the I think earlier this year there were a lot of matches that we watched, not just the founding fathers, but just overall where you're like one particular person on the team stood out over the other. You know there was one corruption match where it was Mike, another corruption match where it was Chance. And I think you've seen that in teams as well, where Merle might have been carrying Roca. And then, you know, for one match or another, Roca is the one who performed really well. And I think one of the things that stood out for me and probably the reason why they've won 
uh, won the belts and defended them against corruption and then against Shazam is because I think both these players are performing at the top of their game right now. I think that there's really not a wink, a weak link of the two uh, r- right now. And that, and that speaks to the fact that I think they both got perfect rounds. I think they, they were, they had scored eight, they scored 18 points. They definitely did in the Orlando match. I'm not sure about in this match, but they were, they were pretty close. No, I think Roka might've missed one. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. I was thinking back to our, to maybe the Orlando match, but the point is the last two matches that they've had, I mean, they're almost near perfect accuracy rate in round one and two. Uh, it puts you in a position where uh, you have to, it puts you in a position to win rather than to have to avoid losing. Um, and so I think that is speaks to the quality. And, you know, maybe if you'd asked me a little bit ago, I would have said now is the right time for Roka to hang it up. But, you know, I don't know if he'll have the same drive going into next season because clearly, you know, he had a fire under under him in the second half of, of season six here in, in 2019. Uh, and now that he's won the belt in in teams, which is the one thing that he said he wanted to do, and then he said he wanted to defend the belt for the first time, and now that he's done that, I do wonder if he's going to have that same drive going into next year, and whether this team is going to stay together. Of course, for now, it's going to stay together because you know they are the champions. They are all both part of the Finstock Exchange. But we'll see if, if Roca carries that drive over into into next year. If he does, he's still one of the best players in the game. But if he's not, you know, we we saw the first half of 2019, and there's a reason why. Uh, people were saying that maybe it's time for him to hang it up. Yeah, no, I think you're I think you're definitely right about that. And as as new players and new rookies continue to come into the league, I mean, look, we saw Paul Oyama, what he was able to do. We saw what Brendan Meyer was able to do, Paul Preston, uh, even David Del Rio, the Liz Shannon Miller, all of these people um had strong entrances into the league. And I'm sure there's going to be even more next year looking at the the crop of rookies that we have entering the draft. So um, we'll see how that affects Roca. But uh, speaking of the draft, the win by the founding fathers means, of course, that Tom Dagnino will get to hold on to uh, both uh, Dan Merle and John Roca. We'll be able to maintain the uh, founding fathers team, uh, which is, is something that's going to be huge for him. And that's not all he'll get to retain, but we'll talk about that uh, in just a bit. Moving ahead now to the fourth match, which was the inner geekdom title match, Kevin Smets versus Mike Kalinowski two. Of course, the first match uh, marked by that famous don't tell Peter answer given by uh, Kevin Smets, uh, which ultimately did cost him the match. Just a, a gaffe that uh, I'm sure haunted him in, in the weeks leading up to this match. Um, but Smets, to, to his credit, did not let uh, that, uh, you know, get to him too much because he was able to come back and beat Chandru, um in order to qualify for this match, in order to make it to the spectacular. Um, and, you know, he came into this match, him and Kaiser both, they were ready to go. I mean, Smets was fired up. Uh, he he had energy like we haven't really seen from him before. He, he's been one of those kind of zen-like players that um, just kind of stays in his own zone and, uh, you know, just he's kind of a machine. Uh, but here you could see he he really wanted this uh, title. Uh, and from the beginning, he, he had it in his grasp. Um, e- even though Kalinowski had a nice speech, he had a nice rant calling out the crowd when he came out on stage, I think. He may have spent all of his energy coming up with that rant because uh, he trailed from the beginning, from from round one on, um, and Smets was able to to continue continue to build on that lead. The betting round, he was able to to increase his lead. Um, actually, rather round two, he had a he had a huge lead. I believe Kalinowski maybe pulled it back by one or two points in the betting round. But the speed round uh, was where, despite Kalinowski starting off with two correct answers. Uh, Smets was able to get the KO uh, by hitting those last three 
questions in the speed round. Um, shocking when you consider, you know, that a lot of the intergeekdom title matches, a lot of the intergeekdom matches in general between the top tier players tend to be extremely close, tend to come down to the last question uh, because the the depth of knowledge is so great from these players uh, that there's just not much that they don't know. But Kalinowski, I think, just got rattled from the beginning. Uh, and Smets was just hungrier in this match. And uh, he got to celebrate his win with his manager, uh, Kaiser, who he had worked long and hard with uh, from all, all the way back from getting rejected, you know, from, from the first time that he tried out for uh, the Schmodown. Christian telling him to to go do some more work and him going to the fan leagues for a bit and doing that. Uh, and then getting all the way back to the top of the mountain. Uh, I know that that's got to feel good for him. Um, and it, it was, it was a nice moment to see him, uh, to see all of his hard work pay off uh, and him to get the win over Kalinowski. Uh, that will of course mean that Kaiser gets to keep his buddy in the draft next year, gets to keep Smets. Um, however, um, for Mike Kalinowski, his future is somewhat up in the air, right? Because after Mikey Three Belts was at one point, uh, it seemed like a foregone conclusion. Um, Mikey No Belts is the reality at the end of this season, um, which means he will be in the draft like everyone else. Uh, and although his team is protected, whoever whoever drafts him will also get chance. Um, he still has to be drafted by someone. And I imagine he will be one of the top picks. Uh, but I know that that's got to be disappointing for him for after all the work and all the success that he had this year to ultimately be, uh, you know, scattered to the wind in terms of who's going to draft him. Um, and, you know, it's it's probably not going to be uh, his former faction because uh, some kayfabe that happened after the match, Mike and Chance ditched uh, Grace and Ken. Now, of course, with the draft coming up, they can't really ditch them. They can't truly ditch them because I suppose that um, that corruption, which is now going to be managed by uh, Mike's girlfriend, Shannon, um, could could always uh, draft uh, Mike or, or Grace could always draft Mike now that she's on the Fife Club. Um, but uh, I think that they they clearly had an intent to, to leave corruption behind. So I, I don't know if they'll still want to play for corruption now that Shannon is going to be the manager, or if this is a sign of something more that maybe they're making a face turn. Um, of course, Mike Kalinowski started off as a face, um, then went a little bit of a heel. I, th I think there's still an argument to be had about whether he's a true heel, um, but uh, I I'll be interested to see what happens with Kalinowski and where he goes in the draft, right? Because he may want Shannon, who is his girlfriend, to draft him, but the fact of the matter is he's one of the top picks. And I imagine Sam Levine, uh, who has the top pick in the draft, is going to be eyeing him perhaps for that top pick, especially when you consider what Mike can do in all three divisions. Scott, your thoughts on this match and everything happening in the wake of it. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> yeah, I, I would have picked Smets to win this match going in. I did have it spoiled for me. I, I didn't know who was going to win this match when I watched the spectacular. But I, I would have picked Smets either way. I would not have expected a KO by any stretch of the imagination. But like I was saying, you know, just a few minutes ago, I think Smets is one of those people that is nearly unbeatable. The fact that he lost to Kalinowski at the collision surprised both of us, I think. When we were watching that match, we both thought that Smets would not necessarily steamroll Mike like he didn't like he ended up doing in this match, but that he would beat Mike in that match. And the fact that he didn't was a surprise to me. It was a good surprise. I was rooting for Mike in that match. I was rooting for Mike in this match as well. But yeah, it, it didn't surprise me when Smets won the manner in which he won for sure. I agree that it seemed like Mike just either didn't want it as much as Ke I mean, he definitely didn't want it as much as Kevin did, uh, but whether he didn't want it as much as usual or if, you know, sometimes 
just getting behind, just missing two questions in round one, which is what I think is what it was, put him down three points going into round two. And against a player like Kevin Setz, I mean, that almost feels immediately insurmountable, even in a five-round match. The fact that Kevin never lets up, I don't know if he had a perfect, he had a near-perfect round two, if it wasn't perfect. And he scored a lot of points in round two. He might have gone to multiple choice once. For He had a tough category, too. I think he had who said it again. No, he so, had heroes and villains, didn't he? Oh, that might be it. Yeah, it might. Yeah, oh, yeah, it was Heroes and Villains. It was Heroes and Villains. So, you know, it's a tough match. And and I was feeling even more confident that Smets would win this match coming into the spectacular because of the manner in which he had to beat Sean Drew in the number one contender match. The fact that he had a close match, he was pushed to the brink by Sean Drew. And I stand, you know, we didn't talk about that match at all, obviously, because of our little hiatus. But the fact that Sean Drew was that close, and I feel like Sean Drew could have beaten Smets uh, if, if, again, he got rattled by that challenge that Smets uh, I- issued on the question. And then, you know, if he, if he hadn't been rattled, I think that he might've found that he could have challenged Smets's steal and, and taken two points off the board for Smets there as well. I think that, you know, it really was a, a tough match that Kevin had to really grind out. And, you know, not only did that cement Chandru's place in this sort of uh, upper echelon of interdictum players going into season seven, going into 2020, the fact that Kevin had a tough match uh, against Chandru going into the match against Kalinowski, the fact that, you know, he didn't just roll straight through, you know, another another person and get a KO or, or a pretty uh, considerable TKO there. That was good. That was good for him going in that match. And, and, and definitely, I imagine, built confidence in that way. And so, you know, when the ultimate verdict was dis- was delivered, it was a KO. It was tough for Mike. I agree that it's a very tough way to end the season for him after after being double belted, you know, the second person to be double belted and uh, really competing in singles, being in the, you know, one or two matches. I guess he was one match away from being in a number one contender spot or being in the in the singles title match. Uh, that you know ultimately Snyder was against Oyama, but the fact that he was so close to Mikey three belts, uh, it must sting. It absolutely agree. It must sting, and I think that Mike, being the competitor that he is, regardless of the kayfabe and or who drafts him, I think he's going to come back really hungry next year. And I think he's still you know one of the top people in the showdown from a draft perspective because he does he is a threat in three divisions, especially when you think about his team's partner who we haven't been talking about very much because, of course, corruption couldn't be in the team's tournament, being the fact that they were in that title match right before it with the Founding Fathers. But, uh, they, you know, they are one; they are still one of the strongest teams in the league, and Chance is a huge part of that. Chance is so competitive. And so the fact that you could draft both Mike and Chance in one fail swoop, you know, if if Sam doesn't take him, I think there are a couple people that could be on the conversation there. It could be Bibbs, could be Mike. I uh, don't think it'll be Drew. Yeah, so, so to jump in there, I am looking at a mock draft. So... Um, mm-hmm. Shannon is number seven in the draft order, but technically has the fifth pick, right? Because Kaiser and yep. Dagnino are locked into their first two mm-hmm. selections. Uh, but this uh, mock draft that I'm looking at, and this is just someone's mock draft, but they do have corruption falling as far uh, as five to Shannon. However, that would mean uh, what they have here is the family being drafted number one by Sam Levine, which I think yep. makes sense when you can tr- when you consider that uh, McQueenie uh, is Sam's old partner. You then have Jay Washington taking Shazam. Uh, you then have Roxy taking the odd couple and Koi Jandrew taking Paul Oyama. And that would have corruption falling to Shannon. Uh, I think maybe the the one that I would hesitate a little bit is Koi taking Paul Oyama just because that's a single player, right? Uh, who is you know, as of now, I assume he will be in teams with a different partner next year, but 
he doesn't play in three divisions to be sure. Uh, whereas here you get two players who play in all three divisions. You know, if yep. we're to assume that chance is continuing to play in Intergeekdom as he did this year. Um, and I, I don't know if, if Koi would, would take a chance that, that Oyama is going to be the stronger choice there. So it could happen. And I would be really surprised. It, I'll be really honest. I'll be really surprised if Drew McQueenie goes uh, that early. If he is going to go early, it's going to be – I imagine it will be Sam that takes him. I think Sam is more ruthless than that, though, because taking Drew – you know, Drew has never won a belt outside of, the, of course, the belt that he won with Sam in above the line. And he honestly, he hasn't really looked much like winning a belt. I think that the fact that the family's not protected, the fact that you don't get, you don't get that yeah, second, you, they're, they're protected. You told me earlier today they weren't. My mistake. So, so the top five <laughs> it's protected, but that does not include the founding fathers, uh, and the family is in that top five as well. So, fa- founding fathers is protected as the champion, but then the top five in the rankings are also protected, and that includes yep. the family. So, I knew the family was protected. So they, okay. are, they are. Um, so. Yeah, because I was surprised when the family wasn't protected, but I just went by rest. All good. Moving on from that. Okay, so I think that makes it slightly more likely that Drew might be taken, especially because that because it's a snake draft. The number one pick, Sam's not going to pick again until number twenty, which is a so huge get deal. Two people, perhaps right off the bat. Which is what? Yeah. So if, if you think someone is better than the number twenty slot and they are protected, I think it makes sense to draft them. So so in that sense, I think you have to ask the question: Is Guy in the top twenty? That's a question that is up for debate. I think he's around that area. I personally wouldn't do that. I think it is an absolute no-brainer to me to draft either Bibbs or Kalinowski first. Because and I would go with Kalinowski as long as you think that you could manage as long as you think you could manage him and, and create a successful manager player relationship there. I think Mike is in terms of kayfabe, it might be one of the situations where Mike kind of refuses to play. For for someone like Sam, and could, because you know he wants to, you know, it's just part of the storyline being being drafted by Shannon. I know that the draft kayfabe isn't going into the draft, but Mike may make it known to to managers who are thinking about drafting him in those top five picks that he's not very interested in playing for them. He wants to play uh, on corruption. He will demand a trade. Well, I mean, that's, uh, and that's exactly yeah. what Andrew Guy said that they would do if if Robert Ryan Burnett drafted drafted the family. And so I think going back to that, I think that that is the one scenario in which it wouldn't make sense for Sam to draft Mike first. But the fact that you would get three players and, you know, is chance, sorry, two players who compete in all three leagues and, you know, is chance really going to compete for the interdictum title? I don't know. But the fact that he's going to have, you're going to have someone who has matches in all three leagues and get you wins in all three leagues, man, that, that is really valuable uh, in the league. And Bibbs, of course, the year that he's had, you know, getting him and the kid who I think is comfortably a top 20 player, I think that those are the two picks that would make the most sense to me. Yeah, I agree. And I don't think that Andrew Guy has to worry about Burnett uh, taking him because, of course, last. he has the last pick. Um, Burnett so was I, dead last in both the first edition of the draft draft order and the second edition of the draft order. So it was meant to be. Hate to see that. Um, yeah. Okay, moving on from the Inner Geekdom match, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the draft after we discuss the singles title match, uh, which was... In short, Scott, a massacre. Um, what Ben Bateman did to Paul Oyama is something that really hasn't dirty. been done in title matches outside of Alex Damon versus Bruce Green. Um, he absolutely dominated him. The match was was you know a little bit close after the first round. Uh, I believe Bateman maybe had a one point lead, um, or it may have even been tied. But things changed immediately in round two when Paul spun classics, which was supposed to be a strength of his. And he was uh, so close to spinning the second time too. Yeah. 
but it was listed as one of his strengths. I imagine it's one of the wedges he put on the wheel. Um, and I, my sources tell me that uh, Paul Paul did know that apparently Ben had been studying a lot um, for classics. And so that was something that he was conscious of when uh, he was playing the round and maybe why he elected to answer some questions without going to multiple choice, because maybe he thought with multiple choice, Ben would definitely be able to get it. Mm -hmm. um, but still, I think this is an approach that we have seen this year, not, not work often. Uh, that is just answering questions on two points, even when you're not completely sure, just to stop the other person from getting the multiple choice, perhaps making it a harder steal for them. Uh, because it's an interesting tactic because it shows that you don't have faith in yourself to get it right on yeah. multiple choice. And, and, that, and that's the reason why you're avoiding going to multiple choice because you don't think you're going to know the answer even with multiple choice. Yeah. At the same time, though, I think like here, what happened here, Ben Bateman did not get any steals, right? So technically, I guess the, the strategy worked in that sense because Bateman didn't get any steals. But at the end of the day, Oyama got zero points out of round two. And so I think that's the risk you take, right? If you if you take shots and you miss, even if the other player doesn't get any steals, you're not picking up any points. Um, and, you know, Ben was able to take advantage of that on his spin um, and go up by a, a solid margin going into, I, I want to say six or seven points going into the betting round. Um, and then in the speed round, ultimately, Paul lost more points in the in the uh, in the betting round. And then they both the, lost points in the betting yes, round. Uh, yeah. And then in the speed round, Ben was able to put him away. Uh, 16 to three was the final. Yeah. Um, and, and it ended with Paul missing a question like buzzing in and not being able to even get yes. a response out in two seconds. Yeah. So Paul Oyama was, was rattled. I think it's safe to say, which is not something that we thought we would say considering uh, how he's looked all year and what he's had to face this year with going undefeated to start a singles career, taking out the greatest of all time to win the title uh, in Dan Merle. Uh, it didn't seem like that anything was going to rattle this kid, but no one is better at rattling their opponents under the lights than Ben Bateman. And I think that uh, his, his long history of studying, his long history of, of strategy and mind games has finally paid off for him uh, because he is no longer the Dan Marino of the Schmodown. He is no longer the best player to never win a belt. Uh, and with two wins on the night, which I think is something that, that can't be discounted, even though they were the first and last match, he, he was able to come back and get that second win, which, uh, you know, we saw that earlier this year one time that it happened uh, with Mike Kalinowski, but he wasn't able to pull out the second win when he had to play two matches. Um, yeah, he beat Ben and then day. lost the Snyder. Right. Um, and so it's a tough thing to do, but Bateman, to his credit, stayed cool even down the stretch when he was starting to build a margin. It was starting to look like he was going to be able to put this game away early. He didn't let the moment get to him, and he finished Paul off in that speed round. Um, and Oyama picks up his first loss, uh, and he will go into the draft as a result. Um, I think he will be. Which one I think of the he's top. probably okay with. Yeah, yeah, I think so, I think so too. Um, you know, he he was in his faction with Kaiser, obviously, but I don't know how well the pairing of them worked out together. Paul may be interested in in picking up another manager next year, and I think that's something that he's going to have the opportunity to do because Kaiser, of course, is locked in. Uh, to Kevin Smets in the first round, uh, which means that, um, you know, as long as Paul is a first round pick, he's going to have a different manager, which I think, even though he doesn't have a team partner coming with him, even though he's not a package deal, um, like some of these other teams are, I think he's going to be in the in the conversation for sure uh, for a first round pick. Like I said, that mock draft I had saw, had him going ahead of corruption, despite being just one person. Um, Who did that mock draft again? 
somebody in the Facebook group. I, okay. I, I screenshotted it mostly so I could have the draft order. Um, yeah. But then I was just looking at the, the, I don't trust did. that draft order unless, unless it's <laughs> oh, no, the draft order is correct, but, uh, Oh, sorry. I don't, I don't draft. I don't trust that order of, of Paul going ahead of corruption. Yeah. No, unless it's, it's, unless it's a deal like we were talking about a second ago yeah. with, with Mike demanding to be drafted by Shannon. Yeah. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes, so it could happen. But either way, I think the point is that Oyama is probably going to be a first round pick. And as a result, we'll probably have a new manager and we'll probably have a new team partner next year, which I think that last point in particular, he'll be glad about because it didn't seem to work out um, between him and Eric Zipper. They of course got a win to start off. They beat the Looney bin, which is a nice win in hindsight, but um, then they, they were upset in the first round of the tournament by Crimson Fury. And I think a player of Oyama's quality probably wants a little bit of a stronger partner. Not that Zipper's a bad player, but uh, he's just slightly he's a middle of the pack average. player. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's what we have going forward. Of course, um, Bateman's win also means that uh, that Dagnino will keep him and Riley as a result. So Dagnino basically won't have a pick until the fifth round, but I think he's going to be okay with that, right? Because he's coming into the season with the singles and teams champion, not to mention Mark Riley, a very dangerous player uh, of, of his own right. Um, and you so, got three top 10 or top 15 players in yeah. Ben, Dan, and, and Roca. And then Riley is not that far behind him, especially with the you know, say what you want about Riley's uh, independent ability in singles, but that team and with who's the boss, I mean, that's there's some magic there with that partnership. Yeah. So I think, I mean, if there was any doubt, Dagnino has locked down manager of the year now. And if there was any doubt, the horseman curse is now broken. You know, Scott, halfway through the year, we were talking about is the horseman curse broken because the horseman, I think, got off to a poor start this year. Um, but I think they have put any concerns about that to to bed, uh, I think they are uh, the faction, even though they won't be called the horsemen going forward. Um, the Finstock exchange w- is definitely going to be the faction to beat next year, regardless of how the draft goes down, just because of who they're going to have starting the season off. Um, and it's, it's a great turnaround for the horsemen this year. If there was a, I know comeback player of the year is a category, but maybe the, the whole horseman faction deserves comeback player of the year for uh, what they were able to accomplish uh, in the back half of the season. Yeah, I in terms of one season starting off poorly and going for sure, I think the comeback is usually from one season to the next, which I think one of the horsemen is almost a guarantee for uh, personally. uh, I think that that Dan Merle is a shoe in for comeback player of the year. If you think about where he was uh, in his 2018 season and where he is now, to say the least, and what his 2019 season was like uh, for me again, maybe it's more automatic for me than for other people. But for me, it, it seems like a no brainer. I think that one of the things that I wanted to talk about overall is a, is a little bit more to do with, with that, you know, that singles performance when you, and the kind of the post-match interview that Paul gave, because it was a very candid uh, interview. Of course, you know, any avid followers of the Schmodown will know that there was some bigger uh, pieces of controversy earlier this year around, you know, his attitude towards the Schmodown and, and his respect for other competitors and, uh, obviously it got a little bit heated between him and Dan at the end of their match, which is not something that you see very often. Uh, Dan did not take too kindly to, to Paul, you know, uh, immediately shooting the answers, uh, across the desk to him after he missed, after he missed them in, in, you know, it was a very competitive match. And, you know, there have been several Facebook posts, at least closer to when maybe his match against Snyder, you know, calling it, calling him out for not, not being respectful enough to, to other members of the Schmodown, whether they be competitors or, or staff members. And I think that, I don't know if that's been weighing on him in the intermediate period between 
when he defended his defended the belt the yeah. second New York live event this year where he beat Snyder. Um, you know, I, I wonder if that's been weighing on him because, you know, he came out and said in his post-match interview that, you know, he just didn't want it as much. He he lost the drive uh, in the Schmodown that saw him start 6-0 and uh, and being the first player to to, to start 6-0, and uh, their Schmodown career 6-0. and And, I you know, I, as a manager, if I'm looking, you know, at the draft board, you know, if I'm looking at what's, what's uh, who, who the competitors are available, that would worry me a little bit. I need to have some serious conversations with him about, you know, whether he's, you know, in the month or two off season that they're going to have at the time of the draft is going to be about a month. Uh, if he, if he's feeling like he's, he's has that hunger back, right? Because clearly he's a good player. I mean, there, there will always, I think there are until Oyama comes back and, and wins a string of really tough matches. I think there's always, people are always going to be putting asterisks on his title run uh, deservedly or undeservedly. That's a different discussion, but you know, I think that he's, he did start, he had, I mean, he had a record breaking start to his career and even though he was six and zero, the the manner in which he loses debatement puts a real uh, a real negative light on his season. I think, and especially with the fact that even though I super appreciate this, and I think, and I'm I'm always happy to see this sort of candor in an interview. The fact that he said he just didn't he didn't want it anymore is basically what he was saying uh, at the end of at the end of the match. And I think that was uh, there was some soul like there was some soul searching in that interview. And I I hope that he comes back in season seven uh, with that fire because I think he has the potential to be. You know, competing constantly for that for that singles title, but right now one of the biggest concerns that I would have in drafting him, which is again why I'm surprised he's going as high as number five, uh, and why I don't think he will go as high as number five unless something changes yeah. in the mock draft. Right? I'm saying like if, if that were the mock draft order, that is the like, official split on mock draft order, I wouldn't expect him to go that high uh, because I think he's. He, I mean, the fact that he doesn't have a protected partner who's strong, and the fact that right now I think his participation in season seven. Although I think he will be there and won't be a question mark in that sense, you know his ability to compete at that same level he competed at this year might be a bit of a question mark, and so that's why I'm I'd be a little bit hesitant to draft him so early. Yeah, a couple of things on that too. Just you know, sort of speculating as to maybe um, why he he didn't want it as much. I think maybe that his fan league background may play a role in this. First of all, because uh, I think a lot of people would say, and I agree honestly from playing in the fan leagues that. The fan leagues are tougher than the actual Schmodown. And so I wonder if at a certain point, you know, he came in, he went 6-0. and I wonder if he missed some of the challenge of the fan leagues. And I think you, when you combine that with the fact that the fan league community tends to be pretty tight-knit and Paul is pretty well-liked in the fan league community, uh, from what I can see, and in fact still participates in some fan league shows, on, like on Multiplex, he still appears on some of their panel shows and stuff that they have. He doesn't play in the leagues, obviously, anymore, but um, even even while he's the Schmodown champion, he was still doing that. And it doesn't seem like he has really endeared himself, as you, as you said, to to most people in the Schmodown. So I wonder if he misses some of the camaraderie as well that comes with being in the fan leagues uh, and playing trivia with your friends, right? It, it is different, I think, than than being really adversarial about it. Uh, and I think you, you win a title in the fan leagues. And if you're a player like Paul, then you, you're you're congratulated and you're, you're, you're celebrated and everything like that. Um, whereas with the Schmodown, I don't know if that's been the case. You know, he's been booed a lot during the uh, during the season at, at various times. Um, and, you know, some of that has to do with how he how he plays his character. Um, but maybe it's not so much a character as maybe he's just, you know, 
maybe that's him and maybe he's not um, the most personable mm -hmm. person. Um, and so yeah. maybe he misses, right? Like having his friends there in the family community. Again, this is all speculation. Um, that makes a lot of sense to me though. You yeah. look at the two people who have really made it from the fan leagues into the Schmodown. And I'm leaving Smets out of this because he auditioned for the Schmodown and was told to go to the fan leagues, which I'm sure he has some camaraderie in there. It's not like it doesn't exist still too, but look at chance and you look at Paul and you look at their histories and tracks uh, trajectories even is maybe the word I'm looking for in the showdown. You know, you have chance come in and immediately like his entrance into the league was being taken under the wing by Mike Kalinowski, a veteran of the league, someone who made him feel at home in the league. He was getting booed too. When he came in, came into the Anarch tournament, the fact that he and Mike were both getting booed, but the fact that he had Mike, he then had Ken, he had grace. He had that entire corruption faction to support him. Yes. Paul came into the league. He came in independent, was, you know, was taken under the wing of Kaiser and, and Smets, so to but, speak, and becoming a part of the dungeon. But that's not the same because they aren't yeah. veterans of the Schmodown. And, and these people themselves aren't necessarily welcomed and considered kind of the same uh, veteran loved members of the Schmodown, like a Mike or, or a corruption overall. Yeah. And like Kaiser and Smets, like as much as they do have the faction, they do have the dungeon, like they do their own thing, right? Like they study on their own time. They're friends before the Schmodown ever even happened. So uh, like, it, I imagine it would be easy to feel like you're still on the outside despite yep. being in that faction. And he got thrown together with a partner that I'm sure exactly. if he had his choice, he, he wouldn't have chosen Eric Zipper to be his partner. Um, and I agree. It, it didn't really work out. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll see how things change for Paul in, in round, in, in, uh, season seven but to your point i think maybe he's looking forward to the draft and maybe a chance for a fresh start with a new manager and new new players i think that will and i think that losing the belt will reinvigorate him to try and get back to the top maybe go for the the title in teams mm -hmm. um and, and i think we will see him hungrier in season seven but yeah and, and i think that one of the people that i was thinking of just looking at the draft for myself i didn't look at a mock draft but I think that someone getting drafted by the five club might be well. One, I think it makes a lot of sense in terms of the order that it, that he's in, in the draft. There's I think that would be a perfect energy. manager yeah. for Paulo Yama. There's just positive energy that just uh, emanates from the five club. E even with Gra adding Grace in there now, it seems that Grace is. They're going to be a heel faction. I mean, they're going to be a heel faction, right? Yeah. Well. Yeah. yeah. That's that's true. But still, I think that um, the way that that Emma. Um, supports her players. players yes uh it, it's very positive energy so um yeah i think i think that's a good choice but um talking more about the draft scott as we conclude talking about the spectacular um mm -hmm. i think that uh one thing i do want to talk about because we've talked about the draft stock of a lot of the players who participated in the in the in the spectacular but i want to talk maybe about further down the draft board and also amongst the rookie crop um yeah. Who are some players that you think that managers should look out for among the people, amongst the veterans, uh, maybe some underrated choices, some steals in later rounds, uh, as well as amongst the rookie crop? I, I have some thoughts, uh, and, and I'm sure you do as well. Yeah, well, first thing, I, um, and I meant to bring this up during the Intergeekdom match discussion, I think this will be a nice segue, and is that I wonder for Kaiser if he's actually happy that he has to take Smets in round one. I mean, yeah, yes, anyone would kill for, for Mike. Right. And, and being a, a competitor in, in three different leagues and, you know, holding two different belts this year. But I think one of the tough things for for Kaiser is that the fact that he has to take his round one pick has to be Smith's, which leaves him basically I think he's what pick five or six. So it's, he's basically picking at 15 uh, or, or or 14, 14 or 15 in the, the second round and, and total picks overall. And that's gonna that's when he's gonna get his first singles and teams competitor. And I think that puts him a little bit at, at a disadvantage. Yeah. And maybe that's and a little bit of a surprise saying because you have a champion on your on your team already. But sorry, your thoughts. I, I was just gonna say that 
the mock draft to, to go back to the mock draft here. Uh, the mock draft has Kaiser picking up Tim Franco with his second round pick, mm. which uh, Tim Franco is a great player, but at the same time, he's not going to be able to be there that often. It seems like from what we've seen in the past, right? Because he, he came in, he played that first match against Tim uh, against Matt Atchity and everybody held him as the next big thing. And he didn't come back for like a year and a half. Um, so I think that's a concern with Tim Franco and, and why maybe, uh, he will fall further down the board despite being a pretty strong player. So, yeah, maybe to your point, he doesn't want, uh, you know, to to end up with someone like that as your your best player in singles, right? To have somebody who you don't even know if he's going to be able to be there that often as your, your top threat in singles and teams. Yeah. And as a segue into your direct question here, and one of the things that I haven't looked at the mock draft, you know, tell me to shut up if this person's popping up higher up that list, but I think a, a good sleeper pick because he is around. It seems like he is around and available. I think Alonzo Duralde would be a great uh, sleeper pick for someone uh, in the draft who has either a late first round pick or an early second round pick and is looking for, you know, you know a, a, a person who there hasn't been, I mean, he hasn't played in any singles matches outside like the exhibition holiday matches. Or or no, he didn't even play in that. Well, yeah, the free for all. He didn't even play in the holiday exhibition match because he hosted it. Never mind, He was on the desk. But the thing, the point is that he has proven that I think, of you know hit the of Matt Atchity and himself and Patty and too, I think he's stronger than Atchity. And I think that he could be a really good candidate for someone who doesn't get a lot of airtime uh in the schmodown. But if he is around and is available to be in more matches, I think he could be a really strong put a pick on, on someone's roster. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that uh obviously I'm a huge fan of Alonzo. It was through his show that I found the Schmodown in the first place. But um I think he's a great player. I He's just been very unlucky so far with uh, maybe some of his free-for-all performances, but also with the, the team's division, what happened. I, I really thought that this this tournament was going to be the tournament for Paddington, too, especially after um, what happened with the Harris brothers, with uh, with the Evil Geniuses, with JTE leaving, uh, and that being the first-round matchup for Paddington, too. I thought they've got a really good chance to make a run here. And then, of course, the infamous match happened with the family. But I think Alonzo... Uh, I think he really did put the league on notice during this tournament um, with, I mean, it, for example, in his first match in that evil geniuses match, he hit that Hitchcock round and man, he ran through that like Kalinowski running through James Bond. Um, so I think he put, he put some people on notice with that. And if he does decide to go into singles, which I hope he doesn't, he on the spreadsheet that Christian put up uh, before taking it down, uh, he was listed as a singles competitor in addition to teams. So uh, that is something that, yeah, I think I think you're right. I think he could be a sleeper because he's never played in singles. But yeah, uh, if you've been paying attention in the Schmodown, you know, Alonzo knows a lot about movies. He's one of the older guys in the Schmodown too, which I think can't be underestimated. Um, he he's just he's lived through a lot more movies, and I, I think that's that's something important. You know, players like Bibiani and uh, McQueenie and and Erwin, uh, I think, are such threats because and, and Roca because they they do have an advanced age. And so um, I think that that is, is absolutely a great choice um, for someone to watch out for during the draft next year. Um, as far as a few people that I think um, are, are people to watch out for in the draft, one person going along with the trend of older players is Mark Edward Hoyk. Um, I think that uh, he's obviously, we've only seen him twice in the Schmodown um, and he lost both matches. Uh, those were with the Self-Righteous Brothers, his team with Whitney Seibold. Um, but Mark is very impressive, was very impressive in in uh, those matches. Um, he it was the movie geek from Beat the Beat the Geeks game show. So obviously he he has a, a past with movie trivia that I think 
um, benefits him. Uh, it, it has benefited him in the Schmodown. And I think that Whitney Seibold is someone who did not have the greatest year uh, in the Schmodown this past year and uh, was probably the weaker person on that team. Um, and so I think that that is someone that, um, he, again, may, may benefit from getting away from his team team's partner and from getting into singles, which I believe he is also listed as a singles competitor. Um, yes. So I think that uh, Mark Hoyk is definitely somebody to watch out for um, going into next season. Uh, going a little bit further down the list and talking about like some true sleepers, uh, a couple that I had in mind. So Greg Alba is someone that I think is a, a huge sleeper uh, because I think he nothing that he has necessarily done so far has uh, lit, lit up the Schmodown. Um, but I think that looking at his performances in the free-for-alls is really what I'm basing this off of. And he's really held his own in, in most of the free-for-alls. Um, obviously, his partner, John Humphrey, is someone who got real notoriety for that run he made in the first free-for-all. But looking at what John's done since then, I think we can kind of say it's a fluke. And honestly, if if I had to pick between the two of these guys, the real rejects for um, who I would take, I think Greg Alba would be an interesting choice, maybe in like the seventh or eighth round, eighth round to take. Especially again, if he goes into singles, uh, which he is listed as a singles player, um, that's somebody that I think could be a threat. A couple of other players that I think could be threats: um, Frank Moran, someone we didn't see at all this season. Um, and we only saw really a couple times in the previous season. But again, b- based on the free-for-all, I think could be a really solid player. He he got stuck um, on the box office breakdown team with a, a partner who w- was quite poor, uh, to put it to put it to put it um, frankly. Um, I, and I think that in the free-for-all, he was really able to show w- what he was able to do. I think he lasted like the first eight or nine rounds he was in there and took out some pretty tough competitors. So he is on the spreadsheet, which suggests that maybe he would be interested in in getting back into the, the Schmodown next year. I think he would be a great choice. And the last person, maybe it's just because I'm such a huge fan of him, but Demi at DG eBay. Um, only ha- has only played one match, and he lost that match. But he put on a good showing in that match against Liz Shannon Miller. Um he went up against Liz, honestly, in what was probably Liz's best performance that we've seen so far. I watched that match again recently, and uh, Demi, I think he had seven points, maybe six or seven points in round two. He had six or seven in round one. Uh, he he had a really solid match for um, a first-timer, and following him, as I do, I know that he's very into movies, and uh, you know, if you get like a new releases category, for example, which is what he did get in his round two. Again, he did hit his strength, so you always have to take that into consideration. But if he's around, again, I think it's someone else who there's a question mark about whether he'll be around or not because he does do a lot of things. He's a writer on TV shows and stuff like that. Um, I think he could be a good pickup for somebody. Yeah, a couple more people that I that I kind of thought of, and I'll, I'll start one higher up the, the draft board probably and then one further down. That could be a bit of a more more of a true sleeper. But the first one is Haley Fouch. I think she's someone who we've constantly talked about on the Scream Queens, who is the stronger of the two on her team. I mean, Kaylin Corrigan, I think also, you know, probably I'd imagine is on the draft <laughs> list. I think that you'll have a hard time keeping those two together unless Caitlin falls, unless she's like an unless Caitlin becomes like a, a late, you know, a late draft just to put the Scream Queens together. I think that you're gonna want to draft Haley earlier, though. I think she's someone who could definitely go in the first two, three rounds as a competitor. And you'll be looking to draft like to partner her with someone who's stronger than Caitlin. Cause yes, yeah, she got a, you know, she did lose in that first round of the ultimate Schmidt on singles tournament, but she was playing Ethan Irwin. I mean, the guy, yes, he did not have a good 
season six. He did not have a good 2019 losing the belt in the first, you know, the first match of the season, or I guess technically not the first match of the season, but, you know, at the first live event in New York in January and really not being able to fully recover from that, losing the three way to against Bibiani and Roca and not really able to make any traction in the ultimate trend on singles or teams tournaments. I think that, you know, he's still a threat. And the fact that you have to face him in the first round, I think that that shouldn't take away too much from uh, your your draftability, so to speak, in the higher rounds. And I think that Haley is someone who could go earlier and has proven that she can be a really strong player. And, you know, you talk about, you know, James Bond for Kalinowski, horror for her, someone who can run straight through horror pretty easily. So I think Haley is a good contender for someone a little bit higher up in the draft order. And then a little bit further down, someone who we've only seen once in the last two years. He's played a couple other matches, but someone whose team was in number one contenders matches uh, from a couple of years ago and just either because of availability or for whatever reason, lack of interest, I don't know. But I think he's on the draft order or on the on the spreadsheet of people who are draftable. And I think that's Jim Vavita from IGN from, yeah. you know, uh, used to, I can't remember what is it top that was their team name. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that he's someone again, one of the older guard of, you know, of the ilk of Achity, Bibiani, McQueenie, uh, Roke. Well, I wouldn't necessarily. Care. I mean, Roka is older, but not in that way. Um, you know, of the older guard of movie critics who have been in the industry a really long time. And I think that he's someone who, you know, later on in the draft, I think he could be a really strong performer. If he's around, if he's available, if he's interested in actually being a part of the Schmodown, I think that he could be a really strong pick. Yeah, I think that's a great choice. That's actually not somebody I thought of, probably because it has been so long since we've seen him play. But Vavita is a strong player for sure. And yeah, it is difficult to know, right? Because all of these people are in the in the spreadsheet, right? They could all theoretically be, been dra be drafted. But are there some people who are like, I'm not interested? And maybe like behind the scenes, Christian is saying to the managers, okay, hey, like I know these people are on the spreadsheet, but, you know, don't draft them. Um, I don't know. It just seems to me like why dangle the carrot if these people aren't going to be actually participating in the league? So, Well, to tell you, there's 150 people who could be drafted. I yeah, think yeah. I mean, yes. Um, and... Included in those that 150 people are some of the rookies. Um, and to, to, to highlight a few people that I think could be ones to watch, of course, I have to stand up for the fan league people. Um, uh, so there are three, sure. three of them in particular who I think are, are people to watch. Jen Kemp is someone who actually showed up in the free for all this past year. Uh, and I was when I was watching that free for all again recently, um, I noticed that she actually did really well. I, despite going out, I believe in the first round that she was in, I think she scored like four points, three or four points. And it was really only one question that she slipped up on in that cost her. She was on a really tough table at the time with Bibbs and Brendan and all of those people were in there. Um, and I think that some people might, um, might sleep on her because, uh, because of this free for all performance, because that's the only thing that they know her from. But she went from the fan leagues to the Schmodown, and there's a reason for that, and that's because she's very good. Um, and a couple other people who are very good, Marisol McKee um, is someone who is on this list and has some is someone who really has – I've only seen popping up in the fan leagues recently, but is definitely making a splash. I believe she won her first ever Full Metal Classic match, which is – very impressive. Um, and then she won her first match in multiplex. I know that some managers in the fan leagues were actually looking at scooping her up for next year, but uh, I don't think that's going to be possible anymore because she's now on the list. Um, and I'm not exactly sure how that went down. It does say 
um, in parentheses next to her name, Orlando. So I wonder if perhaps she was at the Orlando live event and somehow ingratiated herself to, to Christian um, enough for her to get an invite. Um, but I think if people, it, again, if the managers do the legwork, if they do the research, they're going to see that Marisol is legit. And, and I think that they would be be wise to pick her up. And the last person, Scott, is someone that I, we're, we're both very excited to see finally get his chance in the Schmodown uh, because, you know, every year it seems like there's a great intergeekdom player that comes along. Mara Kanopic a couple of years ago, last year or this past year, we've had Kevin Smets. Um, and Chandra. And Chandra, yes. Uh, and this year we're going to have Saul. No, I'm kidding. Um, this year we are going to have Hobbit. the Hobbit, the spider, as I believe he's calling himself now, Robert Parker. Um is somebody who I think is already already the buzz is starting for him when they when his name is popped up on the spreadsheet. Christian has put out some posts about you know have you heard of Robert Parker before? And I people are you know are really hyping Robert Parker up, but there's a reason, right? Like this guy is the Alex Damon of fan league geek leagues. He he is the champion in all of the geek leagues for the fan leagues. Uh, he rarely misses a question he writes questions now for the full metal geek league i believe um and so this is this is a guy who he just has an exorbitant amount of of you know inner geekdom knowledge in his head and i think that he is somebody who is going to come in and be right there in the top tier of inner geekdom players of course you never know what's going to happen when you get there to the real thing when you get under the lights um, when you have to play the you know, five round matches, potentially the different formats that maybe don't always come up in the fan leagues. Uh, but Robert Parker absolutely has the, the knowledge to be the next inner geekdom champion. And I would not be surprised if that happens next year. Uh, other people from the rookies that you're excited about, Scott. Yeah, no, I think that there's quite a few uh, names that that popped off uh, the, the page for me. I think one that was really interesting that, that caught my eye, of course, was Justin Kroll, who is Jeff Snyder's counterpart at, at Variety. Uh, doing kind of the beat reporting, uh, you know, I I don't know too much about him. I don't know what his movie knowledge is like, but I mean, Snyder, if, if he's anything like Snyder, uh, he's going to be a contender. He's going to be someone who strategizes uh, about the game. And I imagine, you know, he seems like the kind of person just from following him a little bit on Twitter and also listening to a couple podcasts where he's been on, where he's the kind of person where if he commits to something, he's going to commit, I think, similar to how Snyder does it. And he's going to be a, a character of the, of the person, I shouldn't say character, but a player of the type of someone like a Ben Bateman who, you know, really wants to to strategize about the game and wants to do everything he can to get every single little advantage he can. And I love those kind of players. I think that those kind of players really resonate with me because I really like the spirit of playing playing a game uh, more than just having that raw knowledge and, and, and getting upper hands however you can by playing the game. I think Doug Benson is another person who could be a really uh, interesting Heck person. Yeah. Yeah, Doug, Doug Benson, of course, doing his own little flavor of movie trivia. And I have to say flavor because it's not it is a, it is a league. It is a competition. Absolutely. But it's to, it's a totally different kind of game that he's playing over on his Doug Loves Movies podcast. Definitely lacking the intensity of the showdown for sure. But yeah, he's got more, a buddy who is one of the managers. So. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, he is someone who. Uh, unlike some of the Schmodown competitors who prefer to uh, get blackout drunk before their matches, okay, obviously exaggerating a little bit, but who like to drink a little bit before, during, and after their matches, he's just someone who likes to smoke a lot uh, before, during, and after his matches. So he could add some nice flavor to that league. You're right, you know, one of his one of his friends is is a manager, absolutely, and so I expect him to get drafted. I do I do expect him to get drafted, and, and we'll see what he's got when it comes to actual movie trivia. I, you might have a better sense of this. 
than me, Scott. But like, is this someone who's going to study? Uh, of course, not everyone in the Schmidt on studies. Some people, you know, famously talk about how they don't study very much at all. Uh, and I don't know if he is that kind of person or not. But Scott, do, where do you think he's going to rank yeah. in the in the list of competitors? Do you expect him to get drafted? Well, I I, th- I think yes. I think Levine could pick him up. Um, I hope he does get drafted because. Yeah, and and you know, for context, I'm a longtime Doug, Doug Loves Movies listener. I listen to way, I've been listening, you know, since way before I found the Schmodown um, for probably, I don't know, 10 years now, probably close to. I've been listening to that podcast, but um, he's not going to study. I will tell you that he will, he's not going to study. He just doesn't have the time to do that. He's a stand up comic. He's constantly traveling around the country. LA is where he lives, and that's his home base. Um, and so he, I think he he would be around enough to you know to play in the schmodown, but um, he's not the type of guy who is going to study. But I think people will underestimate his knowledge because right, like because he is he has he's obviously one of the most well known stoner comedians. He's always high during his shows, um, smokes so much. But you know, first of all, he has learned to function um, over the years. You know, <laughs> he studied that way, high. so he has to take the test that way. Right. He does every single show, uh, while he's, you know, under the influence. Um, and when he plays along, occasionally he will play along during the trivia games on his show. He's very hard to beat. He knows his stuff. Um, he, it, you know, if it's like an actors and actresses question, like who, who starred in this movie or such and such played this character in this movie, he's probably going to know it because he, 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 he can go deep down people's filmographies, actor and actress filmographies, just because that's one of the games that is played on Doug Loves Movies. And at this point, they've exhausted practically every actor or actress possible multiple times. He also is in hotels a lot with traveling and he puts on, he, he regularly talks about on the show, how he'll put on a movie and watch it while he's in the hotel at, or, or two or three movies. He travels all the time. He's watching movies during that. So if you know, a movie that he's seen a bunch of times comes up, he could, he could get some of the deep cut questions about that. So my point is, I think he's somebody that's going to be underestimated because of the general vibe that he gives off. But I think that Sam in particular is going to know the type of uh, threat that he could be. Now, I don't know if he could ever get to the point of like being a champion, but I think he could certainly surprise people. And I hope he gets drafted and gets the chance to surprise people. Yeah, but from a faction perspective, you're not going to have eight people on your roster who can be champions. You just want them to be winning the matches yeah. when they're in the game. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think he he could go further down the list and, and be a good you know sleeper pick there for the later rounds. Yeah. Uh, and could be someone I'm just thinking again, this is this is getting deep into speculation, but could be good to partner with someone who's maybe a more experienced player on your team who, you know, doesn't necessarily uh, have a partner that makes a lot of sense immediately to go with or, you know, say, you know, you take your number one pick or your number two pick and you don't really draft someone who makes sense to have as a partner for a while. And you pick up Doug Benson in the late rounds, pair him with him. And all of a sudden you almost have like a, who's the boss kind of team. And that's not to hit on Riley too much. Cause he is still a very strong competitor, but Ben Bateman in at least from a single perspective, much stronger than Mark Riley is right now. Um, and so I think that there's a lot of potential there to use him in that way as well. Not just in singles. Yeah. And, and I think that, um, Something else, though, to to that I would be concerned about with Doug is just will he enjoy the schmodown, right? Because it is so much no. more intense. Yeah. People take it so much more seriously than they do on Doug Loves Movies. Those are just fun trivia games on Doug Loves Movies. Yes, there are stakes, but um, he, you know, and yes, there are winners in the end. But like, they're winning for people in the audience. People people aren't taking it very seriously. Um, and in fact, back in the day, 
Sam has mellowed out in recent years, but back in the day when they did the tournaments and they had the Leonard Malton game and stuff like that, when it was a little bit more competitive, Sam was notoriously cutthroat in the games um, and extremely competitive. And Doug would kind of get annoyed at him sometimes and, and make fun of him a little bit because of how seriously um, that he was taking the games. And so I just wonder if this is something that Doug will try out and be like, no, this is not, this is not the type of thing that I'm into. I could definitely see that happening, but I hope he gives it a shot. Yeah, I think a lot of the fun then from that, I think you're right. And I wonder if you wouldn't be interested, but a lot of the fun is maybe finding him a partner for a teams that is a little bit more laid back. I mean, you look at someone like the, like the team, like the Paddington too, who take it seriously. They, they're out there to win. They're very knowledgeable, but they never seem like they're too stressed or, or like some of the other teams that are so cutthroat. Yeah. Um, but if you have someone to partner with Doug like that, maybe, maybe that even makes more sense. And maybe that's a way to, to use that talent in a way that's productive for your team, even if you end up never really playing him in singles. Imagine a Doug Benson video drew team. <laughs> God, that would just be insanity. Um, okay, Paulo Scott. Yama and, and Doug Benson. Oh I think gosh, yeah, I know that would be the person you would not want him to end up with. But yeah, uh, okay, Scott. I think that should just about do it for uh, this episode of Champs Lunch. Uh, good discussion there of the draft and everything going forward. Um, for our listeners, we will be be back on a regular schedule from now on. We're we're caught up. We will be caught up during the. Uh, when season seven starts. So uh, hopefully we'll not be having a hiatus this long again. Uh, and in fact, you can expect uh, an awards episode coming maybe next week, uh, definitely before the awards uh, on January 11th. Before January 11th, yes. Yes, before January 11th, we will be releasing a, an, an episode with our choices for the awards. Uh, so you'll be able to hear us again really soon. Uh, but yeah, we hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have, you know, don't forget to reach out to us. Um, tell us if you think there's other people in the draft that uh, we've forgotten about that, that we should have mentioned uh, or just any thoughts you may have. Don't forget about our Patreon page as well, patreon.com slash media plug pods. Even if you can't support us over there, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, do all of the things uh, on your podcast app, uh, your preferred podcast app, to the Some Like It Scott feed, which is where, of course, you can uh, find all of our podcasts, including Champs Lunch. Uh, don't forget to check out Some Like It Scott as well. We will be uh, wrapping up with some of the big Oscar movies here. And on January 1st, we're going to be uh, doing our live stream for our top 10 movies of 2019. So you're not going to want to miss that. Uh, and you're not going to want to miss our next episode of Champs Lunch. So uh, until then, for Scott Shelton, I'm Scott Harvey, and we will see you next time.